I remember distinctly as a seminarian, we had uh, a summer where we had uh, what was called CPE, uh, clinical pastoral experience. Uh, some of my classmates uh, called it by some other words. One, one of my favorites was crucified practically every day, uh, where we were assigned to a hospital and, or, uh, or some clinic where, anyway, and there learned how to deal with medical issues and, and to be basically chaplains. I had a good director, one of my classmates, the one that said crucified practically every day, uh, had a questionable one. But one of the best things for me, besides being uh, in that hospital setting and uh, um, uh, having had a little bit of a medical background, was very comfortable there, was living and uh, getting to know the staff and the priests, especially at the cathedral in Sioux Falls. One day after a Saturday evening mass, the rector came in and he was kind of giggling and there were a few things that got him giggling but this was one of them he came in and he said you know somebody came into the confessional this afternoon and said father i have some good news for you and he said great i need some good news what is it jesus loves you he said yeah i know but what's the good news well jesus loves you yeah i know that but you said you had some good news for me what's the good news well that is the good news and as he was sharing the story, of course, and hopefully maybe you too, I began to, wait a minute, I probably would have done the same thing. That when we hear that Jesus loves us, we say, yeah, I know that, but it's really not news. It's old. We know that. And that it becomes so part of our DNA almost that we forget the importance, the radicalness of that good news. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, what we have in our gospel reading today, today, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone who believed in him might not perish but might have eternal life. That God did not come, that Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save it. Do we really believe that? And if we do, that is truly, well, not, not that we believe it, but if we, it is truly good news that we believe. But sometimes we take the importance out of it. I, th I think there's two ways that we can misunderstand what this means. And actually, I see both in our world, and it, unfortunately, it, it does almost become a political or theological issue on one side, we have God loves us and you can do whatever you want. But God doesn't condemn us. Well, that's not good news. That basically is licentiousness. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Or on the other side, God, God is going to hold you accountable. Well, yeah, that's not necessarily good news either. We already know that. But here's the good news that Jesus loves us. That while we are still sinners, as St. Paul will tell us, that he died on the cross for us. That he loves us. That he didn't come to condemn, but to convert us, to save us, to bring us into a saving relationship with him. This transforms everything. Jesus, in this gospel passage, is talking to Nicodemus, my seminary professor, uh, called this an episode of Nick at Night. I, I just can't get around that. 
But uh, we, we all know that the best theological conversations occur at night, in the evening perhaps. But Nicodemus here kind of hiding. He has questions, but he doesn't know quite what to do, what to say. And here Jesus drawing this allusion to Moses lifting up the serpent, we might say, why, why is that? If you know the story, or remember the story as the, uh, Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the Promised Land, how time and again they began to complain and began to curse. Oh, let us go back to Egypt to our flesh pots. Let us go back to Egypt where we had our cucumbers, melons, and leeks. And, and it's my favorite line I can't get around. Uh, I, I like cucumbers, melons, and leeks, but not enough to give up my freedom. But they were willing to go back to Egypt to slavery to achieve these things. Because the, the treacherous journey was too much, that they could not see, could not hold on to the fact that God was leading them, them into freedom, that they had to be converted, had to be purified. And every step of the journey was a test. And so they began to complain again, and God sent seraph serpents. Seraph meaning fiery. Not only were they bright red, apparently, but their bite was instant fire in one's body and caused death. Then they began to complain again about their own complaining. Please, Moses, pray to God, tell him to take this away from me. And God told Moses to create a, a bronze serpent, to mount it on a pole, that anyone who looked at that would be reminded of their sin, would be reminded of their complaint to God, would remind themselves that I need to pray and convert. So just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man is to be lifted up. And we know now, some 2,000 years later, what Jesus meant by that, that he is to be lifted up on the cross, that just as we complained, just as we sinned against God, that when we look at the cross, we see Jesus Christ like they saw the serpent. This is the effect of my sin. This is what my sin earned. God died for us. Not to condemn us, but to save us. This is good news. But so often, like I said, it becomes old. It just becomes, hmm, yeah, I know. But if we really understood what the gospel is, if we really understood this as truly good news, it would transform our entire lives. We would stop condemning each other. We would stop condoning sin as well. Because if this God who loves us so much would send his only begotten son to save us, then we would realize that we need to do whatever we can to avoid sin. Not that we earn salvation. St. Paul in today's second reading tells us that. We don't earn salvation. It's by grace. What is grace? Grace is gift. We can't work our way into heaven and despite what we're so often told by others, other denominations perhaps, it's not by faith alone either, but grace alone. That's the only alone there is actually, grace alone, that is God's pure gift. But once we recognize that gift and receive that gift, then he gives us faith. And then that faith encourages us and allows us and makes us work in love. 
that is first God's gift, God's love to us. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. And the good news is there's nothing we can ultimately do that makes, us God, makes God love us less. That God loves us. And the good news of this is that if we were the only ones, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, but if you were the only one to say yes to the Lord, if you were the only one to accept his death and resurrection, to believe in him, he would die for you alone. That's how much he loves you. Have you ever had somebody die for you? As we talk sometimes about our soldiers who die for us. They don't die for me. They die for us. But Jesus would die for you. Jesus would die for me because he loves us. He loves me. He loves you. I think if we begin to see this gospel passage in that light, that God did not send him, his son to the, into, into us to condemn us, but that we might be saved through him. That God so loved, the, loved me, that God so loved you, that he sent his only begotten son. We begin to see that this is not just something else, but this is truly the gospel. And this gospel is for all people. I determined whether, whether to share this or not, but a few years ago, I, there was a particular uh, person that was rather brash and uh, provocative, purposely provocative. He would say these things that would get people to just spit and sputter at him. Uh, he was caught in a homosexual lifestyle, and, and uh, uh, he was quite brash about that. And I, every time I kind of encountered him uh, in media or various other things, I thought, there's something wrong here. He's protesting too much. I think God is trying to get at his heart. And so, and I'm, I'm not the only one, I know this, but I started praying for his conversion. This week it was announced that he's leaving the homosexual lifestyle. He's entering the church and asking St. Joseph to be his patron. He who was caught in a life of sin had somebody come up to him and said, you're going to hell because of what you teach, how you teach it, what you believe, how you live, would he have come to believe? Come to embrace the love of God? Most likely not. Or had he been simply told, God loves you just as you are, go ahead, keep provoking people, keep taunting people, and keep doing whatever you want to do, would he have been converted? Probably not. But apparently the people close to him loved him enough to tell him the gospel, loved him enough to challenge him, loved him enough to remind him that God loved him right where he was, but God wanted him to do more. I think that, in a nutshell, is the good news. That God is able to convert anyone who is willing to believe in him. Sometimes I forget that I should be really giving you a homework. And this week, I have a little homework assignment for you. This week, some, somewhere, sometime, to share with one person, maybe a person who is most in need of that message, to share with them God loves you. 
Now, don't be weird and, and do it in the confessional like the, uh, the rector experienced. Oh, Father, I have so good. I already know. I'm sharing it with you. But share it with somebody else. Can you imagine what would happen to this town, to our county, to our state, to our world, if we all shared the good news that Jesus loves us, that he died on the cross for us, that he wants us to live lives of holiness, that he calls us in grace, that the gospel is truly good news, not old news, not irrelevant, but ever-relevant, that Jesus died for you because he loves you because he desires more this is good news this is the gospel